It is time for Terry's Talking. I'm David Campbell, host, sports manager at cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And joining me as he does every week is Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and cleveland.com. Terry, it's a Tuesday. How you doing? I am doing well, David. How about you? Good, good. So we uh, probably at the top should get a couple of uh, promotions in before I forget to mention them. First one that I want to talk about is your newsletter, which comes out once a week, and it's free. And if you are out of town for a couple of days and you might have missed something that Terry wrote, a great way to get everything that he does is go to cleveland.com slash newsletters. And you can sign up for Terry's newsletter right there. As I said, it's free. And I think every Monday morning, once a week, you will get Terry's stuff. So, And then, Terry, you have a library appearance coming up on June 27th at 6.30 p.m. in Alliance. You want to talk about that for a second? Right. Those are. I've got a couple other ones coming later in the summer. But this one in Alliance is the first one that... It's it's a very similar format to what I've done in the past, where I kind of give a little talk, take some questions, and give away a few books, sign books, get to meet fans. And the great thing that I love about library appearances is, one, they're casual. Two, they're free. So when you come down, uh, we can just really enjoy it. And then I'm going to promote another one. I'm not. It's not for me, but uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, at the New Philadelphia Library, my partner at NPR – uh, Amanda Rabinowitz is going to be speaking there, uh, 6.30 at the uh, New Philadelphia Library Wednesday night. Uh, she'll be talking what she does for NPR and also some some of the sports stuff because we've been doing uh, the sports weekly commentaries on NPR, I think, since 2007. So it's, wow. been, a, it's been a long time. It's right after I came back to the Pine Dealer. So We've done that, and I think we just won our like our seventh NPR award for sports commentary, best in Ohio. So uh, Amanda's a big part of that, and so go see her. Uh, and that's also free. Tuesday All right, night. Today, I'm sorry, Wednesday night at the New Philadelphia Library, six thirty. And that is June 14th, which is tomorrow night, just for people who might not be sure what day we have taped this. So yes. All right, Terry. So there was like, uh, boy, we've been chronicling the hand-wringing that has been going on among Guardians fans so far this season about the offensive struggles. And all of a sudden, it just all came gushing out. The the, the guys started hitting. Uh, I think they went six straight games with 10 hits. They're up to 31 and 34. They're only a game and a half out of first place behind the Twins. What, what happened? <laughs> like, it's been crazy. I mean, that is the, the <laughs> thing that's odd about hitting is they started hitting, they stopped hitting. It is a little bit like shooting in basketball sometimes you know or they go on and on and say well the shots just weren't falling at least in baseball you could blame the weather some of the time <laughs> in basketball you're inside so it's even harder um i really believe that it started with josh Naylor. he began to hit doubles and homers then jose came around you know, there are a lot of stats from when jose won that game against st louis with a uh, walk-off hit and i think that was like 15 or 16 games ago, and they're averaging five and a half runs since. But Naylor was hitting before that, David. And word is Naylor bad in the batting order. Right behind Jose. And that might be part of the reason Jose's starting to hit, too, because he's getting some better pitches. And Jimenez snapped out of his funk. Um, And you're seeing, you know, just some of the other guys, even Josh Belson getting some hits. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I was looking at – uh, Stephen Kwan, because it's like he's hitting like 259 or something, but his uh, on-base percentage is 340. He's second in the team in doubles. Um, I think he's like in the top 10 in walks. He's still doing a decent job at the top of the order. And it's I also they just sort of to, to feel like more like the Guardians team that we saw in the past. All right. Well, I, I guess the the next question, Terry, and we've been talking about this too, is speaking of hand wringing among fans is the catching situation is still making fans a little crazy. You have been on record uh, on this podcast. By the way, before Twitter. we go, cause yeah, this yeah. would be remiss. Will Brennan has solidified right field that I think he started to hit early. He and they were both started to hit. Now that I think about it and that has really helped because I've been a big Will Brennan fan uh, for quite a while. Going back to last year, I was, um, lobbying for both he and Oscar Gonzalez to get called up. And they brought Oscar up in the middle of the year, and, you know, he played tremendously uh, until – basically, he was great all year, and then he just stopped hitting 
you go back to spring training and Oscar hasn't hit since. Brennan got off to a really slow start, and he was fortunate that really no one was hitting at Columbus an outfitter because they would have probably sent him back and brought someone else up, but there was nobody else who merited it. And then you see, boom, he began to hit too. So I guess I would just say at, at one point, Terry Francona's theory that you have three guys usually hitting better than normal, three guys hitting normal, and three guys hitting worse. Well, they got three guys hot. They got Brennan, they got Naylor, and they got Jose hot, and a few other guys have come along with them. All right, so going back to the catching situation, Terry. Ah, uh, yeah, you, we have to. You don't, you don't want that to be a dead spot in the lineup. Although no. that that has become the way of the majors right now is the catcher is handle the pitchers and any offense we get as a bonus. But when you have Bo Naylor uh, in Columbus waiting to come up, I think the fans are running out of patience and they want to see some offensive production come out of that spot in the lineup. You think they should have brought Bo Naylor up already and had him playing? Uh, I, the big hang up, and I was listening to Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga on our Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast today, and they were bringing up this this Super Two issue where you and, and we've seen this before. I know the the Cubs slow played uh, Chris Bryant when they brought him up because of this Super Two designation, and you don't want guys to become eligible for arbitration um, before you're ready to deal with arbitration. You want to have them under team control as long as you can, but. Did this surge by the Guardians kind of give them more time to leave Bo Naylor in the minors for a while or, or not? What do you think? Well, part of it is they gave Zanino $6 million. You know, to a lot of teams, it's not a big deal. To them, it is. So I think they want to make sure. Well, because when they bring Bo Naylor up, I don't think they're going to have Zanino still there. I guess right. they could. I mean, technically, you could. You could bring Naylor up. Let Zanino be the backup and send Cam Gallagher back to the minors. But it isn't just Zanino's poor hitting. And my goodness, his strikeout rate's almost 50% now. And that, I mean, when was the last time a Cleveland player got booed like he did the other day? I think it was a Saturday night. He sailed. <laughs> I mean, wow. But it, it just shows that fans recognize the the problems defensively back there. He leads the league in pass balls with five. He's among the top uh, five or six with uh, uh, wild pitches allowed. Uh, I looked at this thing called framing, which is how you catch the ball to get extra strikes. It's a one of those computer-based things. For example, uh, Austin Hedges and um, Murphy from the Braves are always like one and two in framing. Xenia was like 18th. For a while, they're saying, well, he's a pretty good framer. Right now, there isn't a single stat on the defensive side that he looks good, nor is there a single stat on the offensive side where he looks good. So why keep him? Like, why why not just let him go if they bring up Bo Naylor? That would, well, that's what I would do. And I would, yeah. I would keep Gallagher. I think Gallagher's a pretty good catcher. Um, he can't hit, but we're used to that. Also, it just shows that in the end, you go, I don't care if he's hitting 170, just stop those balls going back to the wall. And now catchers are having a harder time throwing people out, but you don't want throws sailing into center field. You don't like the guy back there where he just looks rattled. And that's how Zanino looks. You want that guy back there, even if they're stealing bases uh, to look like a rock, Uh, by the way, I mean, last year you could like, I think um, Hedges did not have a good year throwing people out. It was like 20 some percent. You know, 21, 22, the league average back then was about 25. Uh, so it was a little bit below average. But you never would have known it. You would have think he was, you know, pick your favorite catcher, Sandy Alomar or, or Johnny Bench, whatever, in his prime defensively behind the plate because he had that presence about him, and the pitchers really trusted him. You see, the difficult thing, too, is if your guy is having a hard time blocking balls in the dirt, when that runner's on third base and it's a close game, does Bieber want to throw that knuckle curveball that bounces, or does, does Stefan want to throw that splitter that goes straight down? Those pitches that go in the dirt uh, and spin, they're a little hard to block. That That kind of takes it out. Then secondly, I've always thought you shouldn't call the game this way, but sometimes it is. If the guy is so bad throwing the ball, you know, then you throw too many fastballs when there's a runner on first base. And um, you have to have the pitcher to feel free to pitch with his complete arsenal. 
And that means the catcher has to, by definition, catch the ball. Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to pitch in the major leagues without wondering if your ball is going to end up against the back screen because yeah. your your catcher is incompetent. But you're, and that stuff is really hard to measure, Terry, if a pitcher's changing pitches or not throwing yeah. the right stuff because he doesn't trust the guy who's catching it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think there's no reason to keep Zanino around. I mean, this is the old sunk costs thing from business, right? The $6 million is already gone. Yeah. Like, you've already spent it on his one-year deal. He's not going to be back. And you're not getting the money back, so and you're already you've already spent it. So make the team the best it can be. Um, but now you on know, the, this... on, the su- on the super two thing, David, there's I'm kind of divided on that because they certainly brought up Logan Allen and Tanner uh, Bybee and started the clock running on the and those two guys. Remember the most expensive quantity on your payroll usually. Cleveland avoids this because they just keep coming up with their own starting pitchers that are younger, but it's starting pitching. True. Uh, it really is. That's that's a fact. They they lay it all out, um, and so they did it with those two guys. Um, I'm I'm curious to see you know what they do. I just can't imagine that Terry Francona, in their meetings, isn't lobbying for we got to get a change or surprise me and go get another catcher. Let him go and go get somebody else. Somebody else's backup from somewhere because I'm tired. He has to be the fan, you know, fans don't put a ton of priority on defense and they're sick of it. So when the baseball people who know a lot more on what a mess this is at the catching position defensively, uh, they have to be livid about it. And if you notice the last couple of times too, oftentimes now Cam Gallagher has been catching Bieber because Bieber throws that ball in the dirt and Gallagher does a good job knocking it down. So we'll see. Um, you know, as for how Naylor will play, we're going to find out. You know, James Harris spoke the other day with a long kind of meandering explanation of, yes, the catcher has to be able to run a pitching staff. And, yes, he has to be able to communicate. And, yes, you don't want to bring a guy up and fearful that he'll have to go back down. Uh, but Harris also knows that 85% of all players who go up to the majors end up going back at least once. So, uh, I mean, Jose, I think, went back twice that I could think of, for example. Um, you could just go around. I, I know around the whole of it, Jimenez went back to the minors. Um, Rosario went back to the minors. You just you know, Some of these young, uh, guys are younger. So right now, like Quan, and it hasn't happened. Straw went back to the minors. You know, the, there, there's a lot of guys. Um, I, I, I would hope that that's not an argument for just keeping him down there to, quote, finish him off. They were, by the way, until this year. Now, his throwing has been terrible this year, um, or at least his percentage of throwing out runners. But until this year, he had thrown out 31% of all run stealing base runners. Uh, anything above 30 is very good. Usually the pro average, at least heading into this year, was about 27%. Um, so, And it's down now because of the bigger bases and the pickoff restrictions. So, so I think, David, that puts more premium on blocking the balls and game calling and just don't throw the ball to where the guy ends up on third base when he tries to steal second. Well, it seems like we're hitting the point, Terry, where something's going to have to give here pretty soon. I think you're right, and uh, it, it might happen sooner rather than later. So, um, all right, you want to get into Nolan Jones and Nolan Miller? I know you wanted to talk about those guys a little yeah. bit. Why don't you take that away? Well, um, Owen Miller, who was my – when Roberta back in 2021 – remember, neither one of these guys played in a big league game at the time we saw them in, um, in Goodyear. Uh, Roberta grabbed on to Stephen Kwan, who actually hadn't played higher than a ball in this game that we were watching. And uh, I, I grabbed Owen Miller, who had played just a little bit of AAA, very, very little, and uh, said, okay, these are our guys for the year. And then Miller got a real chance to play with Cleveland. I looked it up. Uh, in between 21 and 22, he has 674 plate appearances. And in that time, he batted 231, 622 OPS, 10 homers, 69 RBIs. And if you remember, especially at first base, he had major defensive problems. Um, still kind of find that baffling. I, not to knock first baseman, but it's if you could play second and third with positions he's primarily playing with Milwaukee, um, you should be able to play first. It's almost like it became a, uh, a mental thing. 
sort they trade him to the Brewers as a roster move, you know, the famed player to be named later. And of course, he's sitting 315, uh, 804 OPS. Even here was like a weird thing. Last year, he uh, he was a right-handed batter. He had only 212 against lefties. Of course, he's sitting 333 against lefties. Now, I mean, you know, it's one of those things. But Miller was close to a 300 hitter in the minors. Now, when you compare the two, Miller's track record as a minor league hitter was much stronger than Nolan Jones. And I worried a little bit when they got rid of Miller, but they said, well, where are you going to play him? You know, we don't think you play first. And so second or third, we got Jose, we got Jimenez, you got all-stars at those spots. And we got all these other middle infielders. Uh, it's not going to happen. By the way, though, they are playing Miller some in the outfield. He's played eight games in the outfield. Now, I don't know how that's going uh, in Milwaukee, but they've had him standing out there wearing a glove, um, and he's hitting for them. Now, Nolan Jones, much the same thing. It was a roster spot thing. They traded him to Colorado, player to be named later. Now, Jones, his big league experience with Cleveland is fairly limited. Last year, it was uh, 94 plate appearances. He hit uh, 244 with a couple of home runs. Uh, nothing I remember he had a hot couple of weeks when he came up, and you could see. Now, to me, he had a big swing, and I thought with a lot of uh, holes in it. Um, and in the minors, his numbers were just not that strong, nothing like Miller's. But, you know, he, he went to Colorado. They took him, sent him out. I think he opened the season to Albuquerque at like 330 or something. So they recently brought him up, 59 plate appearances, hitting 333 with four homers. All right, so <laughs> they, they gave up. Right Did now, they, it looks yeah. really bad is what it does. <laughs> now, if I had to bet, I would bet that Nolan Jones will come back to earth pretty fast. But I was, I am not late to the party on, uh, Owen, on Owen Miller. I was like leading the charge. I was leading yes. the charge to bring him up. And we had to, you know, I – I just felt he would hit because he had in the past. And I liked his swing for the most part. I wish he would walk a little more. But other than that, you know, and he had nice moments, but he just couldn't seem to put it together. Um, but sometimes that happens. You just – it's what drives you nuts about baseball. You don't know how many uh, plate appearances. Francona said he really believes that uh, a hitter doesn't get rounded out, as he called it, and even may take more. He's, he's a minimum – of 1,000 to 1,200 professional plate appearances for a guy to uh, begin to get a real good feel for what type of hitter, hitter he's going to be. And that's three to four years in the minors if you were to uh, look at how many times, you know, they're going to bat, et cetera. It's tough, man. Like you, you've got guys coming up that are making noise. You got to make roster spots for them. There's the 40-man yes. roster you got to worry about. It's, it is a real trouble spot. Um, and, and, how long you wait to hold on to a guy and let him go is uh, is always a big decision. So, And I've heard them say this, and I think that uh, most of the time they say it. If they happen to like the guy, you know, they think he's a hard worker in that, and they just there's no way he's going to get a shot in spring training, sometimes they, they just move him. Because let's face it, if you're not on their 40-man roster, they don't think you're that good. They just don't. Yeah, they don't want to protect you. They don't want to protect and you. And if so. you saw Richie Palacios, who had some nice moments last year, they've just taken him off the 40-man roster. And how about this, David? How bad must Zach Plezak be looking right now in AAA, you know, to, to walk through this? You know, he was designated for assignment, which means he was – you hear the phrase DFA, designated for assignment. It means he's taken off the 40-man roster. It means any team – could claim him for the waiver fee. I think uh, 50 grand or whatever it is. It's nothing. Sometimes when a team claims them, then uh, you, you try to work out a trade. And clearly they were calling around trying to trade Plezak. Well, nobody wanted him. Nobody claimed him. And apparently he accepted the, si the uh, assignment to uh, uh, Columbus. And I believe he could have even – decided he wanted to just become a free agency if anybody wanted him. I believe that was an option. It was, but in Hoinsey and Joe were talking about this on the, the 
Guardians podcast, he would have foregone his contract. Yeah. I mean, what, what is he making? I, I think I, I think he's making like two point four. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, and I think he would have had to forego that money yeah. if he decided to become a free agent, and I think that's what he wanted to avoid. Yeah, he's making um, two point nine five this season. All right. Yeah, 2. I forgot because he's been around for three years. So yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of the explanation behind it, but. Um, but right, to go back to the, but yeah. to the other part, um, well, maybe that was a reason they just said it isn't worth it. But they're so desperate for pitching everywhere in baseball. He just had to look bad. The numbers are bad down there in Columbus, and he had to look bad. Yeah, so you mentioned the Brewers a minute ago, and I, I, I've got some theories here about Shane Bieber that I want to throw out. But okay. um, let, let me read this letter real quick. It's a Hey Terry question from Jack Q, and he says, Hey, guys, currently the, Gar- the Guardians are under 500, but they're only a game and a half back. My question is this. How does this organization define contention? They have to know that even if the Guardians stumble into an 85-win division title, and I know the 97 club won 86, but that's a big difference, that they would be blasted away by the AL East in the same way they were uh, uh, by the 20, in 2018 by AL West champion Houston. To me, the idea of winning another division isn't enough. If they don't have the horses to win it all, move Bieber now and get guys who can help you next season. So... Everybody kind of knows that Shane Bieber's on the clock here. He knows he's on the clock. He's he pitched great on Sunday in a win over the Astros. What do you want to get for Shane Bieber? Who you know would you attach him to with Ahmed Rosario and try and bring in another shortstop? Like the Guardians seem to like Quan and Straw in the outfield for defensive reasons. What what would you like to get back? And then I, I kind of wanted to throw out some teams that I thought might fit the profile here, but what do, what do you want to get back if you're the Guardians? I'll feel her with some power. A couple of years of team control. Um, yeah, you like Quan, Straw, and Brennan until you don't. <laughs> until you have a better option. and Because you could argue that all three of them are very good defensively. All three are capable of playing all three outfield positions. So therefore, if one of them is you get a guy that could, maybe isn't particularly good in left field but can hit, you can move Quan to right. You could have Brendan be your uh, your backup, or you could have Quan be the fourth outfielder. There's, they give you plenty of options, those guys, because the outfield it produces zero power. Uh, and so, by the way, I believe Quan is second on the team in doubles. The other day I was looking at that, but still, it's we're talking, you know, maybe a home run now, and that would help. So there, there. So, what do you have about teams, or what's your thoughts? Well, I'm trying to think what we'd be looking at in terms of a trade partner, right? And I do not. So, a team that would want Shane Bieber would would be in contention, right? Yes. That's step number one. Mm-hmm. So, the Guardians will not want to trade Shane Bieber to an American League team that they would have to face in the playoffs, correct? Well, they wouldn't want to trade him to, I think, a Central Division team. I'm not so sure about an American League team. Hmm. Because I'm, remember, yeah. they may, they've they've made trades with the uh, the Yankees. Now, granted, it was a when they brought in Andrew Miller, and it was primarily a prospect driven trade. But I think that uh, I think they look at it more of who are the players we like, and if it helps somebody else, so be it. And I, I, other than in the division, they don't, I, they don't want to help Minnesota and Chicago because you remember, you'll be facing Bieber next year too. Right. But if they trade him to the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Rays, like, and then they make, they win the division and they got to go into a playoff series and Shane Bieber's like, that would really be galling. That's hard. I'm thinking about teams like the Brewers and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of teams like Miami and I'm thinking of teams like. I don't know, the Dodgers, you know, like teams like that, that are maybe looking for that little push, that little extra, you know, another Cy Young type starter that can help them put some wins together. who's a team that can never trade for enough Cleveland pitchers? San Diego. Yep. (laughs) I had a top Cleveland executive tell me that one of the things that when they do talk with San Diego, they have done so much work and the players in their farm system, that they probably know their farm system not quite as well as Cleveland's, but number two. So, first of all, the Padres, who just 
can't you talk about this my father would say you can't get out of your own way uh keep getting in their own way i think the record right now i think they're three games under 500 just like cleveland um they certainly would be a candidate i don't know who the prospects they have but certainly cleveland does and like you said the brewers would be one um remember a lot of years ago they traded cc sabathia to the brewers uh, boy was that you go back and you look at that trade cc sabathia only had um half a season to go and they traded him for matt laporta uh somebody else i forgot who and a player to be named later who became who was it david i do not remember but it was a Michael pitcher right Michael brantley oh really how about that and there were two players and i forgot who the other one was if the brewers if cc and the brewers made the playoffs the tribe at that point was going to get Brantley. If not, it was there was two other guys that they were going to pick from, but Brantley would have been off the table if they missed the playoffs, Milwaukee. So you can do one of those. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do with this. Uh, but so go ahead. No, I, I don't have anything else. I, I'm just going to say, like, I'm 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 going back and forth in my head. Like, they they need a power hitting outfielder, but is it going to be an MLB ready one or somebody who you know what I'm saying? Like a prospect who's like AAA right now that they could bring up in a year. There's so many. You're right. There's so many ways they can go mm-hmm. with this trade. But I, I I just see a National League National League team just feels like the right fit to me. And we're still at the point where so many of the teams are in contention that well, there, there might be some trade partners. Every so. single team in baseball could use Beaver. 90% of those teams can afford him at $10 million a year uh, and with him under team control for next year. So that gives you a lot of options. And I just uh, – and you turn around and would it make it hard to win the Central Division this year? Of course it does. But it doesn't make it impossible. I mean, one thing that they keep coming up with starters here. Now, we'll see if Aaron Savali holds up, but he's looked good in his first two outings. Uh, McKenzie didn't look so good the other day, but uh, I have a lot of – if he's healthy, I have a lot of confidence in him. Savali, I just don't have confidence in staying healthy. Uh, And then then you have uh, – We haven't uh, even talked about Gavin Williams. Gavin Williams, that's correct. And Joey Cantillo, who, by the way, is also one of the guys they got from San Diego who's – just went up to triple a now they like him a lot so we'll see where it goes but i'm uh i'm open to it because here david the other problem they have is i can't find a hitter in the top two levels of the farm system that i like yeah and that's kind of what i was asking before terry do you want an mlb ready power hitter for the outfield yeah, or someone amend, who's maybe me, that yeah, prospect yeah. level just below so let me amend tough. that an outfielder in the top level of the farm system because R- Rokio, some of those other infielders, yes, that's different. Uh, correct. I would I would want one that looks like he's at least had some major league at bats or I have some numbers on him because as we see, the gulf is very wide between AAA and the big leagues. No doubt about it. Hence the name, the uh, quadruple A player, the yeah. 4A player, yeah, right? a lot of those guys so, are very good at that. I'm sure. And, I... you know, it, to me, I have to admit, I'm a little baffled by Oscar Gonzalez. I thought he would hit much better when he went back down. Um, and so it shows that um, the confidence factor, we were talking about that with the whole team, is, is there. Because when he's hitting a lot worse now than he did when he played a triple A before, it, it's, it's simply that's the problem. It's not as if they figured him out in triple A and now they're shutting him down too. Oscar did a really good job of getting himself out. Uh. Yep. Pitch selection. So, all right, Terry, let's wrap this segment up. The guardians okay. are going on a three game scouting trip to San Diego starting yep. tonight. <laughs> Could be. So they'll be there for three. And then they have the diamondbacks for three before returning home next week. So they have a nice uh, California, Arizona road trip, and then they'll be back. Uh, Let's take a break here. And when we come back, Terry, I want to ask you what you think the Cavs can learn from watching the Denver Nuggets win the NBA Finals last night. So sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right. We'll get to that when we return on Terry's Talking. All right. We're back on Terry's Talking. We're going to talk some basketball, Terry. Uh, NBA Finals last night, the Denver Nuggets have won their first NBA championship in franchise history. And you've got some 
scribbles going up in the morning where you watch the game and, and kind of uh, what you think you took out of the finals and watching the Nuggets. Why don't you talk about, I guess, the dreaded P word? Yeah. If you want to call it dreaded that. P word, we'll get to that. I mean, you look at Denver, and um, this is kind of, you know, one of my interesting subjects because uh, I wrote a book on the ABA, Loose Balls, and um, interestingly, that's a book that by far has been my best selling book. Over well, it's the it's definitive been, book on the ABA. It's a, it's legendary, Terry. It's, it's also, no, no surprise. But it's, but it's the only book on the ABA that's a <laughs> so it's a good way to be definitive. But yeah, it sells probably between 1,000 and 2,000 copies a year. Uh, by the way, for those of just inside numbers on publishing, uh, 90% of all books sell fewer than 10,000 copies a year, or 10,000 copies, period, excuse me. And something like 75% sell fewer than 5,000. So the fact that this thing's been out 30 years and selling for quite a while has been nice. Um, and then where I talked about how that the, the Never Nuggets came into the ABA as the Denver Rockets because a guy named Bill Ringlesby was the owner of Rocket Trucking Company. And he bought the ABA franchise and named it after his trucking company. And then I think in 74 or something like that, they switched it over to the Nuggets. Uh, when he had sold it. So they were in the ABA in the old days. They got to the ABA finals once. That was in 1976. And they lost to uh, the New New York Nets, who I guess now would be the Brooklyn Nets, if you keep tracking where they all went. Um, and then they never even made the NBA finals until this year. Crazy, huh? So you, that's the history. Then you go... And you look at Michael Malone became the coach seven years ago. And Malone had been an assistant in Cleveland for five years under Mike Brown. And his dad, by the way, is Brandon Malone, who was also an assistant here uh, and a briefly an interim head coach. So Malone takes over his first three years. He doesn't even make the playoffs. And previously he had coached a year and a half in uh with the Sacramento Kings have been fired there. So fired in Sacramento doesn't make the playoffs first three years in Denver. They stick with them. Um, and then they go and uh, his first year, first two years, they did pretty well. And then, you know, last year they got knocked out in the first round. So they, in a league where they like to just fire coaches, uh, they decide to stay with Malone and help work and build the team with them. You know, Jogic, you look at his, situation and uh, one of the things I looked at so what was Jogic like in his second year in the NBA at the age of 21 who else played his second year in the NBA at the age of 21 Evan Evan Mobley so at the age of 21 I got the exact numbers here um, Jogic averaged 17 points little under 10 rebounds 4.9 assists shot 52 percent and then Mobley Average, little average, instead of 17 points, it's 16 points. Instead of nine rebounds, instead of 10 rebounds, excuse me, it's nine rebounds. He averaged uh, three assists instead of four and a half. So fairly close, and he also shot 554 from the field. A difference even back then, Yoga showed some uh, ability to make a three-pointer was 32%. But nobody knew at 21 what Jogic would become. That's where I'm going with this. They knew it was promising big guy. And let's face it, unlike Mobley, who was a third number three pick, Jogic was a second round pick. And there's a great meme going around, Terry. <laughs> they, so I, I saw today the moment the D Denver Nuggets changed their history and drafted Jokic, and it, the, the scroll was at the bottom of ESPN, and there was a Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> A man and a woman are exchanging chalupas, <laughs> and at the bottom of the scroll, it says, Denver Nuggets select Nikola Jokic, 41st overall. <laughs> yeah, I think and that's wait, the moment. <laughs> I think they even waited a year for him or whatever. So yeah, you you just don't know what you're, you're going to get. So they stayed with this. Um, I think a big guy in that series, and I, I always thought he was a good player, but until I really watched the playoffs this year, I did not have a anywhere close to a full appreciation of him. Uh, Jamal Murray's ter tremendous. He is just tremendous. And he's six foot four. He's, by the way, 26 years old. Who else in the Cavaliers is 26 years old, a key part of their team? Donovan Mitchell? You got it. 
All right, I got it. Yeah, I mean, SMU is fairly similar. You kind of look at stuff. And, you know, Murray has really carried that team. In the, in the 20 playoff games, he averaged 26 points and 7.5 and assists, 5.7 rebounds, and, you know, he was, just, he was just all over the place. That, by the way, is what the Cavs needed from Donovan Mitchell. And Mitchell in the past had averaged 28 points a game in 39 playoff games before this year. So, but he, he played with so he being um, Jamal Murray played with so much poise that really Mitchell didn't have. And Mitchell had had more playoff experience too than Murray, but Murray just, and Murray is coming off an ACL. They missed the whole previous season. So, that was impressive to me. And then he and Yogesh created this chemistry. So I'm watching this and I'm thinking, that's what needs to happen, whether it's uh, – well, I will say this. There already is some pretty decent chemistry with uh, Darius Garland throwing lobs to uh, Mobley. But I don't see much with either big guy and Mitchell. There's some, but not a lot. Well, there's you. You can't find another big man who passes like the Joker does. I no. mean, it's it. But even something resembling that is some, yes. is what you're talking about, yes. right? And also, by the way, um, and Chris Fedor has written about this. Mobley has pretty good passing skills, but I also just mean generally in the pick and roll. Well, and they they need to find ways to. And you've talked about this, Terry, of getting those guys out high and dishing mm-hmm. the ball from the free throw line. And, and opening things up that way too, which which the Joker is just exceptional at. As by we the know, way, so. you notice how they adapted their offense to what the Joker does. Joker looks like he's playing in 1956. You know, he's at the top, the old high post center, and they're running cuts off him. And he's throwing passes, and you know, he'll, other than take, he doesn't take those long hook shots that they did back then. But he, you know, he'll make those medium range. I loved how um, the shot that the analytics people hate that mid-range shot between about eight and 14 feet the joker was wide open all the time and as on miami played and he just kept making one after another after another after another because it is still a shot that if you're a decent shooter you should be able to make half of them now that is a shot that evan mobley really needs to develop they're always worried about the three-pointer. He just starts making some 12 to 15 footers. His game will open up. And I bet that's what they have them working on as we speak. I hope so. Today. so. They probably so got to make it not nah, corner threes. They love corner yeah, threes. Everyone's right. got to make a corner three. <laughs> that's right. So you are pointing out all these similarities between the Cavs and the Nuggets and, and the big point you're coming to is like, let this thing – roll like yeah. let it roll right mm-hmm. and, and see where it goes because the Denver Nuggets didn't just drop out of the sky and win the NBA championship this has been a process where they trusted in their people they trusted in their coach and let it ripen I mean basically, that's what you're saying it was, Patience. It, almost, it was almost like a seven-year thing from when Malone arrived to where they are now um, and also like when they went to the bubble in 2020 and then lost in the final four then the following year in 21 now, Murray got hurt, didn't play in the series, but they were swept out of the second round. You could have said, well, and that's it for Michael Malone. Time to go get another coach or be some guys. And and they didn't. And Malone improved as a coach, too. So that said, they kept tinkering with their roster and trying to find, uh, like they, they brought in a Caldwell Pope. They brought in some other guys uh, to augment what they have. Uh, but the Cavs need to do that, but I just, and the people that want to, you know, in the NBA, something goes wrong in the playoffs, and then it's either A, fire the coach, B, blow up the team, or C, do both. And the Cavs should choose none of the above at this yeah, point. Yeah, go with D, you know, yeah. let's, 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 let's tinker and see. I mean, if somebody comes around with some crazy offer for, for Jared Allen, of course you talk about, but Allen and his style big, the big man has been diminished, so I don't see that happening. Well, and the P word for those, I, I don't want to leave people hanging is patience, and I think yes. that's what you're driving at. So I'll tell you one thing I took, again, Terry, this season. 
the regular season means less and less to me as I continue to watch basketball and the, the way the heat made the NBA finals coming through the way they did. I mean, they did not have the talent and anybody who knows basketball was picking Denver in a big way here, but to, to come in the way the heat did, it made me think of when the Cavs had Dwayne Wade and Jay Crowder, I think it was that 2017, 2018 season. And they got hammered in January by Oklahoma city. I think they lost by 24 points. And I had people, friends texting me like the Cavs season is over. This team is not built for the playoffs. And then a couple months later, the trade deadline came, they made some trades and then they wrecked the NBA finals. So uh, it's getting in. Once you get in, you never know. So, and and what helps uh, there now, uh, Denver had good regular seasons. That was some of their frustrations on uh, in previous playoffs, but they stayed with it. Uh, Miami is, they're the outlier period. I mean, they said the same coach for 15 years. You start with that with Spolstra. I mean, you would think generally after um, LeBron leaves and they, now they didn't fall completely apart like Cleveland did, but they took a step back that there would be a temptation to go get change coaches, but they did not. Uh, They had, I mean, they brought Kevin Love in because they knew that he would be a playoff warrior. He would be a culture guy for them. And this is where JB messed up, you know, not just with Love, but he would, he developed, excuse me, he failed to develop anybody coming off the bench. He he just didn't. There was not a single guy off the bench that you could look at and say, well, he really improved over the course of the season. I could maybe argue some of those players. Um, in two cases, Rubio and Danny Green had ACL knee things. They were coming off and not ready to go. But, you know, Chetty Osmond is not – he's the same guy. He's been for a couple of years. And Levert uh, – I, I thought they could have got more out of him somewhere or other. Kevin Love, they got down on, they buried him. Now, he was shooting poorly, but, you know, we you know we go back and look at that, David? He's probably hurt. There's no then, doubt about that. Then he went to Miami, and he got better. Got healthy, yeah, and the shot yeah. came back, and, and he contributed. So and then, and then the other stuff he does, which they diminished here, defensive rebounding and drawing charges because they were so, oh, he gets put out in the four in a high pick and roll, and he can't – Stay with anybody. It's like, well, help him. There are ways you could do that. So, And the Heat did. They found ways to not put him in compromising situations all the time. So uh, real quick, Terry, there's a, I thought this was an interesting stat. There's been five cities that have made the NBA Finals and the NHL Finals in the same year. Boston, New York, Philly, Chicago, and um, New Jersey. The no team has ever had their team win the NBA and NHL championships in the same year. Miami had a chance to do it this time, and uh, nobody has swept both. So that record still holds. Interesting. Yeah, interesting you, would think like, you would think the Bruins and the Celtics would have done it in the old days or something. Yeah, it's never happened where a team's won oh. the NBA and NHL finals in the same year. Because that would have been my guess. I would have sat there and well, then I would go, well, what team has won more NBA titles than anybody else has had a hockey team forever? And to me, it would have been Boston. Yep. And the closest place to do it was New York in 1994. The Rangers won the Stanley Cup and then the Knicks lost in the NBA Finals to the Rockets and that went seven games. So it almost happened, but it never has. So I thought I'd throw that in. So, all right, Terry, we got about a month till training camp here. Let's talk about the Browns very, very quickly. Um, I want to read this letter. The big news in the Browns, the world of Browns this week is that they have unveiled their new dog logo. And Ron the Raja writes us and says, hey, Terry, how did the Steelers manage to win six Super Bowls with only one logo? I have no idea. <laughs> it how really it makes done. you wonder how many they might have won if they had three logos like the Browns do. And that's again, that's from Ron the Raja. So I thought I'd throw that out there. What do you think of the new logo? Uh, <laughs> all right, I, mean, I, I kept looking at it thinking, is my screen too dark? That was my thought there. It just seems like it was so dark. Because the dog is so dark. Yeah. yeah. He's dark and foreboding. So, yeah, he's like, um, yeah, maybe they want the Darth Vader look, or I don't <laughs> know what they want, but I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really a bad one to uh, ask about that. Aren't we running? A, do you like the, the logo or not on our website? Are we running? I a think so. Yeah. That? I think we've got something up on, on that. Yeah, so, soon. anyway, enjoy the new logo. And uh, anything else, Browns, you want to get into, Terry? Um, not part. I did write a little bit about Miles Garrett and saying, you know, that. This should be a time for him to I just just mature all as an all around player, you know, with Jim Schwartz 
and he's got a better defensive line now than he's ever been with before. He's about probably the best defensive coordinator. Um, although I, I always thought for all his bluster in that, that Greg Williams has some talent as a defensive coordinator. Just sometimes there's just too much Greg Williams coming in the middle of it. But um, he he was not afraid to challenge Miles, and we know Schwartz won't be either. And so we'll see if that will be it. And if Miles could just be, you know, he's probably not going to be the natural leader ever. I, I was talking to somebody who knows him pretty well. But if he could just not get into some of the passive-aggressive stuff he would do where, you know, you kind of like half second guess the strategy or it just was a strange, you get to get a strange vibe from miles sometimes. And I think that came from immaturity. So we'll see. Yeah. And it's time for him to grow up. I think he knows it. And I'm sure he has people in his ear telling him that, that it's time to time to be a leader. So, um, all right, Terry, you've got a father's day faith in you column running this week. And I, I thought you make it, you make a great point in there as you do when you, write a Father's Day column every year is that there's fathers come in a lot of different types and sizes and, and varieties. And um, why don't you talk about what you wrote about for this week's faith column, which will be in the Plain Dealer on Sunday and on Cleveland.com on Saturday morning. Yeah, it's like, well, my wife, Roberta, and I, we don't have any biological children. We have two um, women, both now in their 40s, who've been like our daughters, one of them for over 20 years and the other one for about um, – 18 or 19 now and they just kind of became friends of the family and in one case uh, uh, daughter number one didn't uh, even know her biological father and didn't really have a stepfather and then number two her dad uh, left the home when she was about seven and then died when she was 13 so they both kind of grew without up without them and it's like we sort of at an interesting age we've navigated this together and I realize now, you know, how important a male voice is, especially a male voice of encouragement. Uh, and both of these women are very successful in their careers and that. So, but it got me thinking of, you know, the biology is just half the ball game, as they would say, in these family things. And of course, now I had a biological father had a big impact on me. But for many people, it's the, it's the aunt, I'm sorry, it's the grandfather, it's the uncle. Um, and I guess a coach. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Family for somebody like me, a family friend. And so that was, uh, uh, that was it. And I admit it was in both times. It was kind of scary, especially the first time with the, uh, our older daughter when, cause she was sort of pushing me to be like the father. I'm like, well, I don't know about this, you know? Uh, but it, it's, it's worked out really, really great. And, and I'm now become like a grandfather to her child who's, in, I may add now is in his twenties, early twenties. So that's been I go back because I so must be back with closer to twenty five years with her. So anyway, those are things there. But I was going to ask you, David, did your father have any impact on you with sports or anything? Yeah, I, I, just to or think about it. Like, no, no, it, it was my dad, and and you know how it is, Terry. When generations are together, there's you know there's. <sighs> There's your generation, then there's your parents' generation, your grand, your grandparents' generation, and there's it, sometimes it's hard to connect those dots. Sometimes because of the age different, you know, different. You look today, you got kids on TikTok and mm-hmm. making, you know, they're all on their phones all day. But sports is like the thing that can bring everybody together. And I think with my dad, we used to watch the Bears game every single Sunday. Like that mm-hmm. was just what we did, and it was just it's a way to cut through age differences. And sports gets us connected, and that's what I think about. You know, about, what did he do? What did he, do? what did he do for a living? He worked for a people's gas company in Chicago. He was like a line repairman and he would dig holes with his crew and they would, when there was a gas leak, he would go in and, and fix it. It was a dangerous job and um, he and his guys did it well, but he, he loved being outside. And, but yeah, we, the bears were our thing and we used to watch it every Sunday. So and did the work ethic, uh, absolutely. Roll over to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, cause I see that's the other thing that's missing. I think too, is, uh, especially for younger males, if the, there isn't an older male modeling that work ethic, uh, there are big, big problems. And there are all kinds of stats in that show when there isn't a male in the home. Uh, you prefer it to be the biological father, but at least a father figure, even if it's a grandfather. Uh, and I don't mean diminish it, but just they're, they're, they are less likely the children to drop out of school 
to go to jail, to commit crimes, all that stuff, to get pregnant at a, you know, uh, at a young age, all kinds of things. They're just less likely. The grades tend to be better. Um, and they tend to do better just overall because it's just there's there's some stability there. And so I want to encourage everybody out there that you may not be a biofather. You may be an older guy that's brought in with somebody or, you know, just helping. To, you don't have to embrace it with both arms, but I would say take a step in that direction and see how it goes. And you never really know the impact you're having until years later. And somebody will come up to you and say, oh, you don't realize this, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard plenty of those through your years, Terry. Yeah. You don't realize what the impact you had, but I, but if you remember this happened and it really impacted me. So, I mean, with both women, for example, that, um, Roberta and I to teach them how to handle money. They're both in their twenties. They just, they didn't know this kind of what, you know, if you can get another credit card or the classic, as long as I can make the minimum payment, I remember sitting down with one of them and saying, look, this loan, this car, you, this thing is eighteen hundred hours. This going to cost you, I don't know, like six grand or something. The way you're going, and and it's all laid out right there. She goes, I just don't want to look at that. I said, exactly. They don't want <laughs> you to look at that thing. By law, they have to show it to you. They make the numbers real small. So that could be something else. Just with some of your life without there just yelling. I just say, just show them. I remember we we had, it was a day. It came over. I went over to her house, and. We got. She had a big dining room table, and she had what she thought were insurmountable bills, but they were not. But we laid them all out, and then we looked at all that. And then, uh, you know, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey, and there's some others that have different ways of paying off bills. And we just kind of started doing it that way. And now, I mean, she's been living debt free. She has, and got her house. That one, that one instance made a huge impact for years yeah. and years. Yeah. Well, she also got sick of it. She got scared and she got sick of it. That's the big thing. Um, as opposed to, and the next time it hit, she just started to say no to her to, to certain things too. And uh, we also talked about if you're hanging around with people or just getting 14 credit cards and just act, you're going to do the same thing. Don't do it. All right. Well, check out Terry's column. It's really well done, and, and you'll want to read it again Saturday on Cleveland.com and Sunday in The Plain Dealer. So I think we're done, Terry. That'll do right? it. Yes. All right. And again, don't forget to sign up for Terry's newsletter at Cleveland.com slash newsletter so you can read everything that Terry writes every week. So, All right, Terry, I think we're good. We'll catch everybody next week on Terry's Talk. Talk.